on, join with me in prayer. Lord, we just love you so much and we're thankful for all the wonderful things that you have done for us, the blessings you have bestowed upon us, your children. And we praise you for that. We know, Lord, what a horrible place we would be without you. We know our deep need for you in our lives. And I pray right now, Lord, as we open your word, that you will speak to us. That you will show us ways that we can adjust our lives to bring you more glory as we live and pursue the fruits of righteousness in our lives. As we really pursue you, Lord, we need help with that. And I pray that today you'll do that. I also wanna just ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will jump up and surprise some people that are listening today, that are sitting in this room, that are joining with us from wherever they are on their devices, that you would surprise them with a, a visitation that they did not know was coming today. Bring, I pray that you will bring salvation to the hearts of some who are lost today that are listening. But we ask that you'll strengthen all of us in our resolve to passionately follow you. We're counting on that, Lord. We're actually counting on you to show up and work. So we open our hearts, just work on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Y'all know who John Muir is? He's a great uh, adventurer. Well, John Muir is uh, known as quoting this, as saying this. The mountains are calling, and I must go. I'll see you in about a month. <laughs> I, do you, anybody relate to him? Anybody relate to those words? The mountains are calling, and I must go. I can relate to those words. The mountains are a very special place to me. Um, I had the privilege, Robin and I both, we met in in. Colorado, in Denver, Colorado, where we went to Bible college, um, two of the best things that ever happened in my life happened in Colorado. Actually, I take that back. Three of the best things that ever happened in my life happened in Colorado. I met my wife, Robin. God blessed me way over my head. And um, I was introduced to the Rocky Mountains, and Amber was born there. My daughter, Amber, was born there. And um, something special happened the first time I entered the mountains of Colorado. And there's like a special, you guys are all looking at the screen. I thought, don't show the picture yet. <laughs> there's, like, I flashed the there's a special thing in my heart that happens when, and there's a special connection with God um, for me, for whatever reason, and I don't know, I'm not getting all weird and mystical about the mountains, but there was something special for me. And like 
this great explorer, John Muir, the mountains to, are calling my name all the time, and I have this sense that I must go. I had the privilege um, several years ago, and I've been able to do this multiple times throughout the years, um, to go hiking in, and, and exploring some of the 14ers, the collegiate peaks. These are the, the peaks that you summit at 14,000 feet or above. And I have a picture here of me sitting on top of Mount Missouri in a very special place. You can see how, how beautiful it is. And I remember getting to the top. This was the first time that I had, had summited one of these 14ers. And I got to the top and to my surprise, now I was, I'm sitting down because I was pretty bushed at that point, you know, I'm kind of tired. And, and, um, but at, to my surprise, I got to the top and I got overwhelmed with the fact that I was there and I burst into tears. And that's like really weird for me. And maybe it was just lack of oxygen to the brain or something like that. But the, the reality was that I was overwhelmed with the experience of the mountain. Now, I was overwhelmed with the fact that I was, am so thankful that I had the strength and the physical ability um, the gift of physical ability to be able to get to the top of that mountain. It was a big deal. It really was to climb to the top. Some of you would be like, it's no, no problem, a piece of cake. I'll run to the top of that mountain. Good for you. <laughs> Not so much for me, all right? But I got to the top, and so I was kind of overwhelmed with the fact that, man, I'm so thankful that I have the strength to be able to do this and the health to be able to do this. But then something else hit me as I stood there and thought to myself, I'm breathing rare air here. And it didn't have anything to do with oxygen levels. It had to do with this in my mind. I said, I am standing on a place that relative, relative to the entire world of people, a very small percentage of people have been able to experience what I'm experiencing right now and stand in this place. And for the first, at the beginning of all that, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, a lot of people couldn't get up here, but a lot of people don't care to get up there. And I'm actually standing in a place where a very few, a very small percentage of humanity has ever stood and be able to see what I am seeing and to be able to have a 360 degree perspective on the world around me as I stood on the peak of that mountain and could see all the way around. And I'm telling you what overwhelmed me was what a different perspective my mind has on the world right now. We're starting a new series called Blessings from the Mountain. And what I hope is gonna happen over the next several weeks is that we're gonna to climb to this mountain with Jesus. We're going to learn some things that are going to give us a brand new perspective. And if we do the work, my friends, you and I, will stand in a place that relatively speaking, few, a, a small percentage of the believers in Jesus Christ have ever dared to stand and walk into with Jesus. Are you ready? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter five. Now you should have a nice worn spot in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Now you're gonna get a nice worn spot in Matthew chapter five as we work through um, this message that Jesus preached. Now of all the messages ever preached, None of them is more famous, more profound, and yet, I would say, more convicting than the one that Jesus preached on what we call the mount. 
This is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And did you know that the Mount wasn't the Mount until Jesus preached on the Mount? (laughs) Back before Jesus preached on it, it was just the hill. It was just the hillside in Galilee, um, right above the um, the Sea of Galilee, just this beautiful hillside. And um, but when Jesus came and preached this famous sermon that he preached on it, all of a sudden it became the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Mount of Beatitudes. Maybe you've seen it in your Sunday school days. Um, there's here's a picture of a Sunday school picture of what it looked like. Those are actually flannel graph. Anybody old enough to remember what flannel graph is? Okay, that's flannel graph picture. This is, this is a real picture of the, of the Mount of Beatitudes overlooking the Sea of Galilee. What an amazing place to stand. Robin and I have had the privilege of being there, standing that place. They actually know that this is the place. Now you can go to Israel and there's some places. They, it is believed that this would be the place or this is a place that would be like the place that actually these things happen. They actually know this is the mountain where this sermon took place and was preached. It's a pretty special thing to stand there and think Jesus stood right here and preached that great sermon. This is where it all happened. And this famous sermon of Jesus is, I wanna, I wanna press into your hearts that it is a timeless message. It's not just a message that was good for them back then, it was relevant for them then that were listening to those followers of Jesus and all the multitudes around him and it just is relevant to us today. I want you to keep that in your mind that this isn't just some ancient story or some ancient words that we read that were spoken by Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's for us today. Jesus preached it with one goal in mind and it was this, that change would occur in the lives of his followers as they live in a world that had lost its way. And I wanna say this before we go on any further. Um, God's people are supposed to be thoroughly Christian. You understand what I mean by that? We're not um, supposed to be partially Christian. We're supposed to be thoroughly Christian. We are, we are called to be what some have coined the phrase a divine minority. And you might be like, minority? I thought we were supposed to make the world Christian. Well, we are, right? I mean, the, we're, we're, we're commanded to go into how much of the world? All of the world and preach the gospel. God's desire is that all would be saved. And yet we are called to be a divine minority. And I'm gonna show you what I mean by that. Look at Matthew chapter seven. You should, if you're in Matthew five, just jump over to Matthew chapter seven real quick and read it with me, verse 13 and 14. This version will sound a little different than yours probably that you have. It's from the New Living Translation. It says this, you can enter God, these are the words of Jesus. This is part of the sermon. This is near the end of this Sermon on the Mount. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for how many people? The many. That should break our hearts to hear that. 
The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And here's another thing to break our hearts and only a few ever find it. These are Jesus' words. And if Jesus says this is how it is, this is how it is. As heartbreaking as it is to hear that there is a narrow gate, wouldn't it be awesome to hear there is a narrow gate and though it will take a long time to get the world through it, many are going to find it. How awesome would that be to hear those words? But unfortunately, it's not true. So we are a divine minority who are supposed to live, we're gonna learn, in stark contrast to a secular and lost majority in this world. And if we will follow Jesus' teaching and we will change our ways, we will find true happiness in this world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is happiness? I mean, truly believe it in your heart. Don't just say it because you're in church. Do you really believe in your heart that true happiness is found in following Jesus' teachings and changing your ways? We're gonna work on that. When Jesus preached this sermon, he preached it to his disciples. And by the way, the sermon is for his followers, even though there was a huge multitude of people that had gathered on the hillside, and you read about the multitude um, on the mountain there. They were there just to see the miracles and maybe receive some special thing from him for themselves. But he was speaking these words to his followers um, and when he spoke these words, he had the happiness of his followers on his mind. Therefore, I want to say to you, when he spoke these words, he had your happiness on his mind also. And you might say, how do you know that, Phil? Well, because the word beatitudes means this. I think I have it on the screen for you. The word beatitudes means extremely Blessed. And that word blessed in the Greek means to be happy. Extremely happy. So you can literally read these words in verse chapter five. We're back to chapter five again. We can read these words of these verses like extremely happy are the poor in spirit. Extremely happy are those who mourn. Extremely happy are the meek. Extremely happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and it goes on, and we're gonna be studying it. But let me say this again. The goal of Jesus' message to his disciples that, for their, that day, and therefore to us today, is that I want you to be happy. One person appreciates that. I mean, have you, have you sat and thought about that lately? Jesus wants me to be happy. And you probably think, oh, they, we, the way you've been preaching lately, Phil, it doesn't seem like that. There's a lot of stuff going on and you're talking about all the other stuff that's going on in the world. You're exactly right. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world, but Jesus wants you, his followers, his true followers, to be happy. He has happiness on his heart and on his mind for you. I want you to live happy lives. 
I want you to invest, this is where the message is, I want you to invest in fruits of righteousness to ensure your happiness in the future. In fact, the Greek expression held a powerful message of this happiness. It's a, it's a divine joy and perfect happiness if you go deeper and study. It's, a, it's an amazing study if you want to do it because it will uncover to you that Jesus is expressing in these words in this sermon a way for us to obtain for ourselves the same kind of divine bliss that God knows in his own mind and in his own heart. It's not talking about worldly happiness here. He's talking about a divine, perfect happiness that can be yours and you can share in the same happiness that God has in himself, in his own nature. That's pretty awesome, you guys. Study it for yourself. But this happiness has a condition attached to it. And the condition can be summed up in five simple to understand words that we find in chapter six. Jump over to chapter six, verse eight. Here's where the happiness comes from. This is the condition of this happiness that we're talking about. Do not be like them. There's the condition. You can have this happiness if you are not like them. Like who? He's saying, don't be like those who are in the world who don't know me. Those who think that they know where to find happiness and significance. Those who, like the hypocritical Pharisees, in their self-righteousness, try to get the recognition and the admiration and the approval of men instead of the approval of their heavenly Father. He says, don't be like them. Don't be like those who are seeking pleasure and significance and satisfaction or happiness, true happiness, from the things that this world and the people of this world have to offer. Don't be like them. That's what he's saying to us. Don't be like those who follow the ways and the paths of the prince and the power of this air. Don't be like them. Jesus' message is this. This is not the way to happiness. Their pursuit, their path to happiness is not where you're going to find true happiness. Don't be like them. It's a very strong message. You must be different, Jesus says. Have you got it? Are you hearing me? Now, why does he need to preach this? Doesn't everybody, isn't every person who has been saved by the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ pursue him with all their hearts? Isn't every Christian leaving the, the ways of the world and rejecting the things that the world has to offer and pursuing the fruits of righteousness with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why does he have to preach this to us? Why would we spend a bunch of time talking about this? Well, can I take you somewhere? The reason is because for centuries, God's people have left the ways that God shows them and have tried to join the world in their pursuit of happiness from the people and the things of this world. Which, by the way, displeases God. 
You wanna go back in time a little bit and just work on it a little bit with me? Okay, so God's people Israel, okay? He's called them out from the world. He said, you're gonna be my people. I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm gonna bless those who bless you. I'll curse those that curse you, but I'm gonna take care of you. You're gonna be my special people and I'm gonna be your God and you will be my people and I will be the king over your lives and you will be happy. You will have everything you ever need. And God gives them a warning in Leviticus chapter 18. Sounds kind of like Jesus here in Matthew chapter six. This is what he said in Leviticus 18.3. Do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations and you will find life through them, I am the Lord. Pretty clear, right? Don't be like them. Be the way I want you to be. Be my followers, listen to my teachings, follow my decrees, and you will really live. You'll have a wonderful life. But look what God's people did. Psalm 106 describes it. But Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord had commanded them. Instead, listen now carefully, they mingled among the pagans and adopted their evil customs. They worshiped their idols which led to their downfall. Are they, question, are they finding happiness? No, they're not. You might remember during the time of Saul, God says, you are my people, I will be your God, I am your king, and the people say this in 1 Samuel 8, 5, give us a king like all the other nations have. And Samuel goes to God and says, you hear the people? And he goes, yeah, I hear them. You just need to know, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. I told them I would be their king and I'm all that they need, but because they want to be like all the other nations, they start whining, give us a king, give us a king. And Samuel says to them, don't do this thing. Don't ask this. This is displeasing to the Lord. And then he gives them a warning about this is how it's gonna be. You're not gonna like it. If we give you a king, you're not gonna like it. And in 1 Samuel 8, 19, this is what they say. Even so, we still want a king. Can't you just hear the little whiny in their voice? Even so, I don't care. I don't care the circumstances. I don't care the consequences. We still want a king. Johnny, if you eat all that candy, it will rot your teeth out of your head. Even so, I want my candy. They're just like little kids. I want what I want, and I want it now. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the warning is. I think I can find happiness in the things I want to do. This is what God's people are doing. And they said, we want to be like the nations around us. How heartbreaking had that had to be in the heart of God who says, I will give you, I will deliver you, I will take care of you, you are my people, you're my special people that I've called you to myself. Yeah, but we want to be like everybody else. What's wrong with us? Can you see yourself in that? Am I the only one? I mean, I'm, I go, shoot, I'm in trouble. 
In Ezekiel, God told his people not to defile themselves with the idols of the other people. Okay, okay, well, we can be like the other people. We can have a king like the other people, but certainly we're not gonna worship their idols. And God says, don't do it. Don't be like them, but they refused. And in Ezekiel 20, 32, we want to be like the nations all around us who serve idols of wood and stone. I know you say you're the living God, but we want... We want idols of wood and stone. And this is what the Lord said about that in Jeremiah 10 too. Do not act like the other nations. Don't be like them who try to read their future in their stars. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and then fasten it securely with a hammer and nail it so that it won't fall over. It's pretty bad if you make yourself an idol that won't even stand up by itself and you're going to bow down to that. Oh, by the way, here's a little nail to hold you against the wall so you don't fall down. What kind of God is that? Don't be like them, God says. But they worship the idols anyway. So let's take a vote. You think they were happy? You think that brought them true divine happiness to follow the ways of the world and to bow down before wooden idols? No, nope. in fact, Ezekiel 5, 7, this is paraphrased. Because of your rebellion, you will have more trouble than the nations you so eagerly want to be like. Not only will you not be happy, you'll be more miserable than the people that you're desiring to be like. Why? Because you've chosen not to follow my ways. Do I need to go on? Do I need to keep on going? I can. I can keep on going illustration after illustration of God's people saved by God's loving grace and held by God's wonderful hand who have decided, I want to be like everybody else. I want to have what everybody else has because I think I can be happy if I follow that. Here's the message from Jesus. Do you want to be happy? I mean, really happy? Do you want to be happy? I mean, really happy? Then don't be like them. Like who? like the people of the world, or more specifically, like the people you used to be before Jesus found you and Jesus cleaned you up and made you a new creation. Jesus' message to us is you are my people now. I have called you out of the world. You must choose a different path to follow if you truly want to be happy. That's the message we're going to be working on for the next several weeks in this Sermon on the Mount. What if you could learn to choose God's way all the time, every day? Would you? <laughs> I have it written, what if you could learn? I think I'd say, what if I could learn? What if I could learn to engage my filter before I spoke? You wouldn't get in so much trouble, Phil. I know, that's the way it is. Some of you are thinking just right now, if I had just used my filter last night, this morning would have been a whole lot better getting ready for church. 
What if we could learn to think before we act? Did your parents ever tell you to do that? Phil, think before you act. Yeah, okay. What if you could learn to act instead of react? What if I could train myself to control my mind and my thoughts and to control my emotions? What if I could be in control of my consequences so that my consequences of my actions are positive, bringing me joy and happiness and those around me joy and happiness because I'm choosing to do the right things before the consequences hit instead of choosing to do the wrong things that bring consequences that are out of my control that bring disaster to everyone around me and to myself and my life. What if we could choose it? Would we? Would you? Now keep this in mind as we go through this message. By the way, this is all the introduction, okay? So like, you're like, where's the notes? Where's the fill in the blanks? We don't have any. I just gave you a blank page for the Holy Spirit. You haven't written anything down, Teresa. <laughs> she came up before that, where's the notes? She takes the thing, goes, where's the fill in the blanks? I said, you gotta fill in your own blanks. The Holy Spirit will give you blanks to fill in. Not one note on there that I can see. Get, get moving, girl. All right. You gotta keep this in mind. What we're talking about here is not done. It's impossible to do in the natural. What we're gonna be learning about, you can't do on your own. It's only done in the supernatural. So outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ and without the Holy Spirit's work in us, none of what we're discussing, discussing will work for you. You can't do this stuff on your own. It takes help from the Lord, it takes help from his word, and it takes help from his Holy Spirit. In fact, the happiness that Jesus is speaking about is, we're going to see, is quite a paradox. And to just hear his teaching straight up doesn't make any sense to people who don't understand him and who don't know him and who don't have the Holy Spirit to help us understand his teaching and his ways. It's foolishness to everybody who's outside of Christ. But here's the message. Misery, here's, write this down. <laughs> Misery and humility are the key to happiness. This is the message we're gonna be learning. Misery and humility are the key to happiness. And you're like, wait, what? I'm not signing up for misery and humility. I'm signing up for glory. I'm signing up for a special place. No, you're not. We're gonna learn that these are the two things that are the key to happiness. Look at chapter five again, verse three. Happy are the poor in spirit. Verse four, happy are those who mourn. You liking it so far? Verse five, happy are the meek. There's humility. Verse six, happy are the hungry and thirsty. Verse seven, happy are the merciful. It takes a great deal of humility to be merciful in this world. Verse eight, happy are the pure in heart. Verse nine, happy are the peacemakers. Verse 10, happy are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, happy are you when insulted and hated and falsely accused. And you might be like, well, I'm not sure I want that kind of happiness. 
maybe I'll take a break for the next three months. Go to church somewhere else. I don't want to hear about misery and humility. Well, that's what the world says. That's what they would say too if you offered them. Misery and humility equals happiness. They'd be like, no, I don't think so. The world says happiness is doing your own thing and having your own way. Am I right? The world says happiness is getting yours first. The world says happiness is the go-getter who pushes everyone down to get what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and how he wants. Are you tracking with me on this? This is the world. This is the way of the world. The world says, happy are the rich and famous. Happy are the noble and the popular. Do you hear me? Am I speaking the truth here? Have you been caught up in that before? This is the stuff I've heard since I was a baby. This is the way to happiness. Worldly success. But that's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, there's an old saying I came across in my study that goes like this. The tree of happiness doesn't grow in the cursed earth. Wow. Anybody remember Solomon? The wisest, wealthiest, most powerful, respected man to ever walk the planet, Solomon. In his pursuit to find true happiness in this world and satisfaction in this world from the things this world could offer him, things like unmeasurable wealth, palaces, buildings, servants, food, drink, vineyards, gardens, fish ponds, stables for his, I don't know how many horses that he had, his mighty horses, wine, women, women, by the hundreds, 700 wives, 300 concubines? What would ever make a guy think? <laughs> All right, John Blodgett's over there going. <laughs> Move on. He had everything and he had anything he wanted. In fact, Ecclesiastes 2.9, look at it on the screen. I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my trouble, all my labors. He had it all, right? And as a result, he was infinitely happy. Come on. Don't tell me that just a little bit of you doesn't want and wish they could be Solomon. How many? Dude, you guys are lying in church right now. Don't tell me that you haven't been at this place before where you've like, if I just had a million dollars right now, I'd be much happier. If I just had this family, the way that I want, I would be much happy. If I just had, don't tell me you haven't done that before. And here's a guy who has everything, denied himself nothing that this world had to offer him, indulged in every possible thing known to man, 
And this is his response in Ecclesiastes 2.11. But I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish and it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I searched for happiness in this world and it's not there. All I came up with was a handful of nothing. The tree of happiness doesn't grow in the cursed earth. If you're searching for happiness in the things of this world, you're searching in all the wrong places. Because physical things don't satisfy the soul. You have to choose to walk a different path. Some of you are struggling with this right now. You're going places you shouldn't be going. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. You're crawling into holes you shouldn't be crawling into. You're sneaking around doing things you shouldn't be doing. And you know it. And somehow inside of you, you think, if I could just taste some of that, I'll be satisfied. I'll be happier. I'll find some kind of fulfillment. And let's be real. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And how many times have you reached out there and taken that forbidden piece of fruit and you bit into it and you tasted how sweet it was only to find that it turns to ash in your mouth? And you're broken inside. And the Holy Spirit grieves your heart. Why are you betraying me? Why are you giving up all the pleasures I have to offer you to taste that stuff that is just momentary? It's nothing. So I'm like um, getting ready for bed last night and the Holy Spirit says to me, Phil, um, the hour is getting late. And he wasn't talking about what time it was last night. Call the people to repent. Time's running out, my friends. I don't know if you're keeping up on the things of the world, but things are closing in on us really fast. 
all the I's are dotted and all the T's are across for the coming of the Lord to take his church home. And today is the day of salvation. Scripture tells us that when the end comes, when we get to the end in the last days, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just, in fact, on the way in this morning, I'm praying to the Lord and I said, Lord, are you sure it was you that are asking me to call people to repentance tomorrow or is it, I just feel like calling everybody to repentance tomorrow and he made it clear to me, Phil, call the people to repent. So I'm calling you out. Those of you who do not know the Lord, you know in your heart whether you are truly saved or not. And God bless you that you're here. I I am so thankful that you're here or that you're listening wherever you are online and joining us. Don't be on the highway, that wide highway to hell. Get off of that. There's no joy there. There's no happiness on that road. There's no fulfillment on that road. There's no satisfaction from what this world has to offer you. Stop pursuing the things of the world. Listen to the voice of the Spirit today and get saved. Be saved today. Repent of your sin. Admit in humility that you're a sinner and repent of your sin. Call on the name of the Lord. Believe that he can save you and receive his gift of salvation today before it's too late. And that's not a scare tactic that I'm using. That's reality. The days are clicking by and the day for salvation is going away. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Come to Jesus. I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand like I have in the past or stand up or anything like that. Listen, it's between you and God. And if you need to be saved today, come to Jesus. If you need help with that, come to us. After the service, we're here to help you. For the rest of us, we need to repent of all the times and maybe the stuff that we're into right now that we're trying to pursue because we think it's gonna bring us satisfaction and happiness. Turn it loose. Give it up. It's not making you happy. It's not making the Lord happy. Some of these things, when we pursue the world 
And we, like the people of old, God's people of old, say, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. For some reason, we think they have stuff we don't. And they found the secret. It's a lie. Turn to Jesus. Turn your heart back to the Lord. Repent of the things that you're pursuing, the pursuit of the world. Yeah, but I'm knee deep in it, or I'm neck deep in it. Walk out of it. And if you need help walking out of it, come grab my hand and say, give me some help to get out. I'm trapped in a trap of my own making. And we will be able to share the word of God with you and you can repent of that and walk free of that. It's available to you. And I'm telling you, the message of Jesus and that we're gonna be working on is how to, through misery and humility, find greatness in the kingdom. Find happiness, true happiness, the same divine, perfect happiness that the God, our Father in heaven, has in his own nature, we're going to find together if we do the work. But the work starts right now. Some of you are living in a way that is grieving the Holy Spirit of God and therefore quenching the Holy Spirit of God in your life. There's no happiness in that. You've gotta give it up. You have to repent of it. Thank God that we have a God who says if you confess your sin, I will be faithful and just and forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just come to me and forsake it. Repentance means to admit it. There's confession. Admit it and turn from it and walk the other way. Walk out of the pursuit of the world and walk into the arms of Jesus and there you will find true happiness. It's not found in the cursed earth. This happiness we're talking about is on a whole nother level and Jesus and his teachings, we're gonna, he's gonna take us to that next level. I hope that you'll make it a point to come every week and learn at the feet of Jesus because I, I believe that as we go through this teaching, it will fundamentally change you, it'll fundamentally change me, it'll fundamentally change our church because you can't sit at the feet of Jesus and not be changed, not be fundamentally changed. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you um, for your son. But before I go any further in this prayer, I wanna thank you for your patience with us. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you don't enact judgment upon me when I walk away from you. That you are such a gracious, merciful, and long-suffering God. That you let us just keep coming back to a true heart of worship where we align our lives with your word, with your ways, with your teaching. So I pray for all of us, Lord, as we repent today, 
whether we're repenting of our sins for the first time and coming to you in salvation or repenting of our ongoing failures and our ongoing desires to be like the people of the world. And you're calling us back today. Don't be like them. Help us, Lord, to turn from our wicked ways and walk with you. Align our hearts and our lives with you. And then bless us, Lord. And use us. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Listen, we're down here. Our prayer team will be down here. I'll be down here. If you need help with this repentance thing, come on forward. We'd love to help you. God bless you, my friends. I'll see you back here next week.